Hey, I'm your host, Sarah Sennett. I'm a master's qualified digital marketer. Together, we're going to up-level your marketing game. My aim for the Marketing Mindset Club is to give you clarity on how to create and communicate value, learn the latest marketing techniques, build your skill set, and develop the confidence you need to get the results you want. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Marketing Mindset Club. Today, we're talking to Chris Han. And Chris is the Digital Marketing Manager at Cube. Cube is a regulatory technology firm that seeks to automate the management of regulatory change in the financial services sector. Uh, But his expertise is B2B. So today, that's what we're talking about. B2B marketing, lead generation, and how to get the most out of your budget. So COVID has affected many sectors out there and some more than others. But even for those of you whose budgets haven't been reduced, you are still going to want to get the biggest bang for your buck. So with that in mind, we're going to talk strategy, tactics and lead generation for your business. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, it's nice to be on the show. It's great to be here. Uh, Tell us a bit about your background as a marketer and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I've been involved in marketing for the last 15 years. I did a a degree in it. Um, Then post-degree, I did a bit of freelancing in my local area while looking sort of my first job and then landed my first internship in uh, marketing and sort of not looked back from there. So moved across quite a wide variety of industries, worked in sort of international healthcare and security, uh, insurance broking, then did a stint agency side, looking after businesses in the cloud space and little bits in between and ended up at Cube, who are a sort of reg tech SaaS business, sort of as a quite a bit of a, a broad experience and hopefully uh, learn a few things that I can pass on and hopefully help a few people. That's awesome. So B2B has very much been the thread throughout your career by the sounds of it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, at least that point in my career. I'm just it's all the it's the majority of the experience I've had and so if you want to take those uh, next steps and move forward yeah you kind of have to you have to start focusing you can't start bouncing between B2C B2B too much as well there's quite a lot of similarities there are also massive differences between those two uh, sectors audiences I guess. yeah audiences yeah and everything that goes with it yeah, I think that's why I was particularly interested to get you on the show is that you do have such a, a broad background, but the similarity across all of it is B2B. So I'm really hoping that for, for marketers out there who are either at the beginning of their careers and, and maybe not sure which route they might go or for experienced marketers who have done B2C before, but not much B2B, then hopefully this episode is going to be really useful for them. So I thought we should start off uh, just acknowledging some of the the massive upheaval that we've been through in B2B recently. Um, so what's your your take on how things have evolved given the, the massive economic and political shifts we've had in the last 12 months or so? Yeah, it's been quite interesting, obviously. It's been one thing after another, even though quite a bit of it hasn't negatively impacted the industry I worked in. Actually, in a sort of perverse way, it's been quite beneficial. As a marketeer, I keep my eyes on the broader market. And yeah, it is difficult out there in the B2B world. Uh, I mean, obviously, the you look in the newspapers, and it's a lot of the B2C businesses get the column inches when it comes to the Brexit fallout and all that. But there are a lot of B2B businesses 
that are heavily impacted that sort of trundle on in the background that don't have the brand the wider brand awareness within the population that have been hit quite hard it's it's difficult i mean it means that businesses have had to really look at how they market when you could do stuff broad brush you kind of you target uk and europe with sort of similar advertising similar messaging and drive them all to the same sort of place you can't really do that now you really have to segment the uk as a completely separate market just due to the barriers that have been put up which which means more work means if you're sort of targeting a few countries in europe and uk um, and you you know you're focusing just on the english language you now have to have a landing page for the uk and landing page for europe because your message is going to have to differentiate because how you can supply your service or sorry the product or even your service Mm -hmm. has changed so much and then looking at the pandemic the huge thing out of that was everything shifted digital businesses that didn't really focus on digital as much as they had sort of more face-to-face events and what you can consider traditional media have really had to up their game and a funny thing I've noticed is the huge number of digital marketing manager job roles that I see recruiters posting for today in B2B organizations it's and you sort of you have a look at the job descriptions like this will be the first hire in this role is pretty much the opening sentence in 90 percent of them and it goes to show that they've sort of seen yeah it's just that um the the craziness has taken a pandemic for a lot of b2b businesses to really take a close look at how they're operating in the digital space uh and then realizing that they don't have the skill sets in-house uh Mm -hmm. and they don't really have an understanding how it operates i mean a lot of people know like uh, seo is something we need to do you have a conversation with people about seo and it's always something we need to do but when you get to the nitty-gritty of it a lot of people don't fully understand how that operates and how that works especially in b2b um where the sort of buying cycle is so much longer than the b2c market yeah i think there's a a couple of really important points that you mentioned there um for b2b businesses who have previously trundled along and you know leads have kind of come to them the the pandemic has pretty much flipped that on its head um, for most industries, as far as I can tell. It, it's no longer good enough just to assume that business is going to come your way. There has got to be more of an edge and there's got to be some targeted lead gen activities. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, massively. Everything when you come to sort of building a lead generation strategy, it, it's down to data, as everything in marketing should be, but especially for digital, you've got to gather as much data as you can pull together sift through it manipulate it and just see sort of what what the gold nuggets are that fall out because you know mm-hmm. that, that's the info that let you understand on a granular level what's what's worked for you before how to best segment and collate your contacts into groups to target where people have come from most where you know where your biggest referrers what's mm-hmm. websites have they come from and then you can understand from that what people are interested in seeing what content you put out there are they interested in and then that all wraps up into sort of the, the KPIs you should be looking at as well. It's yeah. yeah, as I said, data is huge. And I think a lot of businesses just think they can uh, chuck some ads out there, you know, do some PPC, chuck some ads onto the display network, do some stuff via LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff will roll in. But you can't just blanket it. You've really got to segment it down, especially as all your competitors are going to be chucking out the same stuff so to stand out. You really need to know who you're targeting and cater everything along the journey towards them from 
the ad creative, ad copy, landing page, follow-up comms, how salespeople are informed about what the they've engaged with so the conversations can start from not zero but can start from four you know position of four or five out of ten like they know the details but the problem is is a lot of businesses aren't set up for it or they see it as too scary and they don't put the budget and the resources behind it to get it right and those are the businesses that will fail compared to competitors who are willing to do that yeah i think that's the other point that i wanted to to draw out from your initial thoughts was for a, for a business who is just going into having their own marketing capability in house that person going into that role is not necessarily going to be going into an environment that really knows anything about marketing they have probably just got by up until now so if you are one of those marketers going into a b2b role in a, a company that's not had one before i think uh, if it was me personally, I think I would have quite an emphasis on building that structure and answering the question of how do we do marketing before just, like you said, jumping in and putting ads out and not really thinking about your target audience. I think there's a, a real piece to be done there to understand w- how the business works and what does marketing look like for that business. Yeah, hugely. Uh, especially if you're stepping in as the first digital person. Uh, as I said, data is everything, but you know, you're going to get to the point where if you're that first person, they might not have the data. They've not run stuff before. Then you've got to be a bit smart about it. Okay, where else can I find this data? Um, data is not just, you know, stuff out of a CRM and campaigns run. It's, it's what's in people's head. What are the salespeople? What do they know about the industry, the pain points? And uh, where where um, where do they look sort of for mm-hmm. information within their industry? Because that's possibly where the people sort of, who you're targeting they're going to be looking as well um for example in our industry it's sort of a lot of financial based people so you know financial times is going to be huge for ourselves people to stay on top of stuff but also for the compliance and risk people so it's understanding that so yeah if you've got if you don't have a lot of data to start with you've got to be a bit smart and sort of bootstrap a few things but there should always be data. i mean unless you're starting in a real bad place where you know you haven't had google analytics on the website and stuff mm-hmm. like that, then, you know, it's going to be pretty bad. But if you've got Google Analytics, there's a, a whole range of data you can get out of there and Search Console as well. Um, so that's the best starting point. And from that, you can just start segmenting. And again, going if you, there's a CRM, hopefully, even if there's Excel spreadsheets floating about, just shoving everything together and just seeing what you can get out of it. Yeah, yeah. This this really brings me nicely onto our next point, which was, uh, you know, about designing a lead gen strategy from from scratch. So, say you are coming into that that sort of greenfield environment where there isn't a coordinated lead gen strategy. Research is obviously going to be a big part of that. Um, so, talk us through that process. You know, you mentioned a few data sources there. What else would you imagine goes into the foundations when you're starting off in that setting? Sort of following on from the data side of things, once you've got the data into a place where you understand who you're going to target, where you're going to target them, what's going to work with them, it's it's working with whoever designs the creatives and looks after websites. If if that's yourself, then obviously you've got a bit of a head start. You can sort of just start working on it, but then really passing that information over and making sure that the journey starts from a good place. So capturing their capturing their attention in the right way to drive them to then capture their information to then 
pass it on to sales. But once you pass them to sales, that's not the end of things. You've got to continue nurturing them. You've got to sort of start, use marketing to draw out more information to pass on to the salespeople um, around topics that people are looking at, um, what they're reading on the website, the solutions or products that their pages they're looking on the website, and just doing everything you can to fill out a bigger picture of every single contact you start getting through or contacts you already have sort of really filling out the details and just yeah again it comes back to data I think that's the biggest thing I think without that running through everything you do from a lead gen perspective it's you know it could work but it won't work as well as if you're as data centric as you possibly could be and that takes that takes time and effort it's not a sort of day one let's go start running stuff you need to be a bit structured in how you lay out you know what the kpis that are important to us what data do we really want to capture and find valuable and how do we track the value that we're getting from say ad spend and the email you know email system you know you're not paying per email you're still paying for an email Mm -hmm. system and understanding you know is the cost you're paying towards that generating the information needed to then sort of drive forward sales. Yeah. So there is definitely an element of confidence to that, you know, to be able to go into an environment that is maybe pressured uh, because things have changed a lot over the last 12 months to be able to take that time to understand the environment in order to be more effective down the line. I think that you definitely have to be confident in your approach. There is undoubtedly going to be pressure from the stakeholders and pressure from the board potentially to get things underway. And you might be in a position where you can do that, but I I feel like there has to be that time in order to assess the situation properly and to understand the audiences. Which um, which kind of brings me on to the point of, about tech and planning your tech stack. Uh, you know, obviously data is hugely important. How would you recommend somebody goes about thinking about the tech and the tools that they might need to execute a lead gen strategy? Yeah, so sort of in the B two B world. Our IP tracking is something that is even even during the pandemic where a lot of people are home, it's still a really great tool to help you understand what businesses are looking on your website. You can't obviously get the individuals, but the good the good systems will provide you, you know, based on what they know about you, the possible people it could be. You're gonna want a decent email system where you can build out automated nurture tracks that trigger based on a wide variety of variables don't want it just to be we send an email if they open send this email if they click send this email you really want to be you know we've got this person in our database we know that they come on to they come onto the website we know that they spent five minutes reading our product page about a specific product so we can send them on a nurture journey that start doesn't start with we saw you looking at this page but you know this is a recent blog we'd like to highlight and it's relevant to that piece of content and then if they engage with it then you can start dripping them through a journey towards more sales orientated content and obviously at every stage flagging up with sales individuals that this person what this person is doing how they're engaging obviously comes to having some sort of system to be to build a lead scoring model so you can get to a certain point and be like okay and the salesperson can see that score ticking up and then go, okay, right, this is the right time for me to step in with a more personalized message. Other technology, oh, I mean, such a wide variety out there. I mean, personally, I like stuff like CRO 
um, stuff. So systems like Hotjar and Lucky Orange, where you can really start tracking how people move through a website on an individual basis. So if you see there's been certain form completions, then you can sort of go into the system and see how they got there, what was the journey. But they also can tell you when people are dropping off from a form. So you can start understanding, are your forms too long? Is there a specific part in your form? You know, does your form ask for a phone number? And you can look in this thing and say, you know, 60% of people drop off when they ask for a phone number. Take out the phone number. You know, you won't have the phone number, but you have the other details and you have increased your conversion. And that that sort of stuff can be really helpful, especially where you're sort of initially just trying to capture data for that longer sales cycle. Yeah, I think that's that's really important to emphasize that what we're talking about here before we even get into any paid activity or any promotion is just optimizing what is already happening. You know, if you have a website and you have some traffic, getting Google Analytics in there if it's not already in there is going to make your life so much easier to understand what people are doing on the site and then, you know, adding that um CRO layer, that conversion rate optimization piece, you can optimize what people are already doing with the site. So before you even get to a point where you're asking somebody, you know, a senior stakeholder for money, there's a lot that can be done to optimize what's already happening, which I have always found really fascinating about B2B. I I love the the CRO piece and seeing how people interact with forms differently and content differently. Um, For somebody who's never used a hot jar or lucky orange, can you just um, describe a little bit about what those platforms do and what they allow you to see? They're really good. So they have a number of different things. So you have your heat maps. So they'll tell you, you know, where are people clicking? Um, this can be quite interesting because if you've got your big call or you've got a call to action somewhere that you really want people to click on and you look on it and they're not clicking on it, but they're clicking elsewhere, clicking on a not as good call to action, you can sort of start to think about A-B testing to switch them around. Uh, you can see scroll depth. So this is great when I worked in an insurance broker we had specific documents near the bottom of a page that were you know were very relevant to that piece of insurance and we noticed that 50% of people who hit the page didn't see those documents because they didn't, didn't scroll down far enough so we rejigged the page a little bit to shift those up and the engagement on those pieces increased and the conversion rate on the website so the goal completion of the website which was to reach out and contact us about the specific insurances jump massively across pretty much every page that we did that on so it showed that if there's a piece of information you want people to see you can use this software to see are they actually seeing it if it's not directly at the top of your page then they have the recording section which is interesting if it's slightly creepy where you can watch every individual person's journey through your website this is more useful if you kind of see someone who's you know been on 10, 15 pages watching their journey. Is, is the reason they've been on 10, 15 pages they're looking for a lot of information? Or is it they're bouncing around five, six pages, then find the page that they want and then spend a lot of time on that page? And you can look at the journey and just be like, okay, have we made the journey as clear as possible to get to the certain information that is useful? Um, and you know, you don't have to spend a huge amount of time. So you start picking a few people you start getting tagging in there to if they do certain actions and you can really start building a picture of how people interact with your website as, as you said you don't want to start paid stuff if your organic side of things isn't working if you're driving people to your website and your website isn't optimized well 
then you're just wasting money because people, you know, I said if people are dropping out on a form because you're asking for a phone number, if you start driving paid people that form and you've got a 60% drop off of the phone number and you didn't know that, that's all that money wasted. Where if you'd done some studying beforehand, you could see, okay, take that out and then run the page to that page and you'll probably get a lot better results for your money. Yeah, absolutely. And if we're we're talking about getting the most bang for your buck, there are free levels. Uh, I don't know about Lucky Orange, but I know Hotjar has a free tier that you can start with, which gives you something like a hundred page views um, to create a heat uh, map. And yeah, I mean, recordings. Lucky Orange is, is my preferred favorite. I mean, the price on that it's it's sort of you're looking at you know twenty dollars for sixty thousand page views a month. So you know, for most marketing businesses, that is you know relative pocket change. I mean, you're looking at $240 across a year for a piece of software that has so much to it. I mean, not, not to start become a paid shill for them or anything, but you know, no. they, there's live chat, there's basic live chat functions that you can run polls on it, you know, so those sort of software can be real. They are really cost effective and they're the first step in building out a lead gen uh, campaign. If you have no, if you have no starting point, that's where you've got to start. That's where you start gathering the data. But I mean, then there's other stuff like it's that uh, Microsoft actually have something called Cl- Microsoft Clarity, which is free. It's not mm-hmm. as good as the other system, but it has some interesting stuff. It has sort of um, it does it has a rage click metric, which is one of the more interesting. Oh, things. interesting. So yeah, so it will tell you if someone clicked a lot in succession on something that wasn't a link. And you can watch mm-hmm. their journey and you can start understanding, you know, and it's quite interesting to see what certain things people think should be a link. So if you've got a find out more and then there's an image above it and the image isn't part of the link, it's only to find out more. And you're seeing people rage clicking on the image, expecting to go to the next page, just make the image a link. It's a simple, simple change. But then mm-hmm. you're improving the user experience. And, you know, if people start rage clicking that image, and then they're like, oh, sort it, and just bounce off. The likelihood of that happening is low, but you don't really want to risk it. That could have been the next big client who does that and they go to a competitor. So why take the risk? I think that's a really good point. You know, for most businesses, uh, you know, we're looking for quantity, other way around, quality, not quantity. So you've got to think about these leads in terms of generating five or tens rather than hundreds and thousands. Um, you know, for, for some businesses that, that one form completion could mean a lead that's potentially worth millions of dollars or millions of pounds in the future. Mm. So when you think about the the platform price of something like Lucky Orange and neither Chris or I are endorsed by them, um, you've got $240 where you could potentially make a massive difference to your website up front before you've spent a, a dollar on paid media. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. There's a lot of cost-effective technology out there that you can bring on board. I mean, I say Google is always a leader in this sort of stuff. I mean, there's Google. If you want to do a basic A-B testing, you've got stuff like Google Optimize. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you go on YouTube and you can. there's some really good tutorial videos and how to use it and all this and you know you can quite quickly from zero become quite proficient at this digital side of things um, especially for b2b where it's I, i do think it's a bit less forgiving because as you said b2c they need volume because for the most part people are spending you know usually sub 100 quid on a lot of e commerce platforms well b2b longer sales process you know you 
tens of thousands generally minimum for a lot of b2b businesses some as you said up to the millions and just that little bit of upfront investment in terms of the solutions and in your time to learn how to use them can make a huge difference in the long run i said ip tracking is a huge one as well to bring up massively in b2b is is pretty much useless in b2c Um, but for b2b it's huge especially linking it in with paid is with ppc you generally you know if someone comes from a paid campaign you don't know google analytics won't tell you what business they're from if you're getting a thousand clicks a month from your paid advertising you have no idea whether that's a thousand clicks from businesses you want to get clicks from or if that's just all dross but with ip tracking you can set it up so you can tell okay who came from the ppc filter it by that and you can see the business names and if there are enough business names coming through from the ppc in the sort of your, your target markets and your sweet spots then you know it's working if they're all completely out of sync with what you want then you know you need to make tweaks for example cube we work in the reg tech space specifically for financial institutions, but there's reg tech across other industries, pharmaceutical, manufacturing, so forth. So what I use IP tracking for is to look, okay, from the page, how much is coming from financial institutions and how much is coming from businesses that are flagged as manufacturers and pharmaceuticals and other. And, you know, at the start, it was a, it was more towards those industries which we have no interest in. So you go and you either yourself or the agency you use, you start tweaking and doing the changes and start keep tracking and hopefully see it tick over more towards where you want the, the industries you want. And that's what happened. And now it's sort of probably 80% coming from financial institutions because we made those tweaks to be a lot more optimized in how our PPC was running. But without IP tracking, we wouldn't have really known that a lot of budget was being wasted on industries we weren't interested in. Yeah, I think it's worth saying with these platforms that we're talking about, most of them can be implemented really simply with a JavaScript snippet or something usually inserted in the header of the site, which if you've got Google Tag Manager, you can do yourself or a developer can do relatively quickly to get you up and running. You know, we're not talking about a long, arduous process to get these tools onboarded. They're they're pretty quick to, to get in your flow. Uh, which kind of leads me on to the next topic about tactics that are surprising you at the minute. What's what's working and what's not, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of B2B tactics right now? For me, the surprising one is one I've actually used for quite a few years is LinkedIn Forms. I've used it previously and you know, had a bit of middling success with it. But since 2020, I mean, pretty much sort of round about the time the pandemic kicked in, it's sort of really ramped up and now it's absolutely flying. I mean, some of the ads we're running were are running at sort of like £20 cost per lead when, you know, industry average is nearer 100. And they're working a lot more successful than driving people through to sort of on-page landing sites. Because you, what I always say is the more clicks you have, the more drop-offs you'll have. So the fewer clicks to success, while obviously still providing information, is best. And so I think the LinkedIn forms has really taken off. Another interesting one, it's not really for conversions, but I'm loving uh, Twitter polls at the moment. And the fact that you can push Twitter polls out paid is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I'm really absolutely gutted that LinkedIn haven't jumped on this bandwagon yet. Because mm. um, the, the Twitter stuff, you get some good stuff from, but the targeting is the targeting and the audience out there is nowhere near as good for a B2B as LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is 
pretty much if you only ran paid advertising on LinkedIn as a B2B business, you'd be fine. I'd say you don't really need to generally worry about the other platforms, in my opinion. But yeah, but on Twitter, you can run polls and, you know, if you, you're right with the targeting, you sort of target followers of accounts you're interested in getting some information out of. We did it sort of tail end of last year, ran one poll a week for four weeks, then took the data we got from that and turned it into a really good piece of content that we then pushed out on LinkedIn with paid advertising with the LinkedIn forms and gen- generating some like really good quality contacts from that that we could pass into our CRM and flag up to the sales guys so they're aware that this person is now aware of us they download this piece of content you know you can reach out on LinkedIn or we can start them on email nurture journey you know getting a bit of steer from sales depending on the level because you know we were getting c-suite downloading it so once you sort of get into that level you really want to get those top top tier ones right in front of your sales people to understand how they want to approach it um, mm-hmm. but yeah it, that's all that's a that's where it's probably the bad um uh, for me it's always google display network i keep going back to it i'm always oh maybe this time it will work and it, it, it just never has it just uh it just generates rubbish really it could be just the industries i've worked in are just not conducive for google display network um but you know pretty much every time i used it it generates a lot of traffic and then you look at what then you segment in analytics by that sort of traffic and you're like you know, 80, 90% bounce rate, time on pages, you know, sub 10 seconds for most of them. Uh, conversions are pretty much non-existent and any conversions are always spam. I just feel Google Display Network is far too easily targeted by spam bots. And I've yet to personally see in a B2B industry where it's actually generated anything where I've decided to keep it ticking on for more than sort of like four months or so. Uh, and that's sort of with significant testing either by myself or by an agency we've used. And I really try and everything under the sun to move the needle towards the, from the trash mm. to good uh, quality. And yeah. I'm, I'm interested that, that LinkedIn forms have taken off so much. I'm wondering if that's to do with how much more screen time people have had over the last 12 months and whether that change in behavior has meant that there's more time spent in the platform. I'd, I'd be interested to see if LinkedIn comment on the, the change in their users over the last 12 months, because I reckon that will have had something to do with it. But it'll be interesting to see if it carries on for the next 12 months as, as the you know, alleged normality returns. Yeah, I mean, you see the other platforms talk about how the like, know, it was like Instagram and TikTok saying that their average screen time per user has been going up. And so you can imagine yeah. that it probably is the same for LinkedIn. I definitely have spent more time on LinkedIn, even though part of my job is obviously to be on LinkedIn. But the interesting thing is now because more people spend, they're getting better results on that. There's a mm. lot better stuff being pushed out via it. So I spend more time on it. So mm. it's just interesting, as you said, if that cycle continues, I, you know, even post my day, I probably will still spend a fair bit of time on LinkedIn because the quality of stuff on there has increased significantly uh, since the start of the pandemic, you know, in forms of webinars and podcasts and reports and it's all the information I love sort of like reading of an evening. Mm. And I think if people continue to produce good quality stuff, people will keep going. And I think the cycle will continue. If, once normality comes in, a lot of businesses start chucking money at in-person stuff and events like that and start not producing fresher content for their paid LinkedIn. And I think, yeah, it could drop off again. So I, I definitely, and I think that's in LinkedIn's best interest to start bringing out some, better, as I said, you know, make LinkedIn polls 
uh, something they can push out via advertising because that would be amazing to do. I mean, it, there is a bit of a trend at the moment, people complaining about the number of polls being run. But personally, I mean, I, I, I love the polls because it, it gives you a real insight on a wide variety of topics. I've seen polls, obviously, across many different industries. And even if the industries I'm not interested in, it's still interesting to see that sort of data gathering and the insights they can provide. And if you're smart and you follow your competitors, you're getting free information. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the thing I just wanted to tack on to the end of that was uh, I wouldn't be surprised if most people on LinkedIn are using it through mobile. So they're on the mobile version or on the app. So by that extension, you need to make sure your site is providing a good experience for mobile visitors. Otherwise, you're just wasting that traffic that might come to the site. Oh, you should be doing that. I mean, Google's mobile first and it has been for a while. I mean, and also from May, it's going to become even bigger. So if you're not, then yeah, you're just in general, just for everything, you should yeah. put in the foot, which is slightly annoying for a business like ours. I mean, I'd say 80% of our traffic is desktop. It's kind so, of counter- intuitive in b2b because most of the traffic well in the businesses i've worked in comes from desktop but you still have to be extremely mindful of mobile especially since google google is mobile first yeah these days and you know on-site user experience signals are what's going to change the algorithm again in may the number of websites you see who are, are not ready for it in terms of page speed and other bits and pieces like that there's going to be a lot of web agencies out there sort of rubbing their hands because there's going to be a lot of people who are mm. going to be hit by this, who are going to start scrambling and trying to find agencies that can uh, fix their websites, really, especially if they're said not. It, even even the, a lot of mobile-first websites I've seen have quite long loading times, and that's going to be a huge thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I just wanted to move on a bit to talk about brand and, uh, you know, ask you what you're feeling about the role of brand in B2B lead gen is. Yeah, I think brand is huge. I mean, if people recognize your logo or your name, even on a subconscious level, and then they put an, a positive association with it, then they're more likely to stop and engage with whatever you're putting out. Uh, I know it's true for myself. If I see a brand if i see say salesforce or something like that i'll always stop because they put out i know they put out good content when it comes to sort of data crm and marketing automation and stuff like that and they always always stop with it so if you've got that then um yeah mm. you're onto sort of a bit of free lead generation but yeah and the, the going along with that is brand awareness should be less about people going oh i know this brand and more about as i've just said i know this brand and they are good at understanding what you want to be good at outside of oh i know they are a good product or service but that they offer something good as i said salesforce for me i know they offer good free content so i'll always stop and take a gander at what they're putting up um, mm-hmm. and same for cube we want to be known as a brand that people involved in compliance and risk can come to for up-to-date insights on industry trends i mean <laughs> we use a hugely overused term but we want to be seen as thought leaders. And you know that's so quite an obvious term, but it is very true. If you want good brand awareness, people have to think these people produce good, free content, even if the content's not free, just like you know, gated, I can give them my email address and I feel like it's a worthwhile exchange that if I give my email address, I get some good content. A number of times I've 
seen someone promote a piece of content i've gone okay they want my email address this sounds like an interesting piece i've downloaded it and it's been two three page pdf with basic stuff in it that you know i could have got from google nothing brand new no real insights no independent thought or research done and then i've got you know i'll never i won't stop for those brands i won't you know if i see them trying to push another piece of content i won't download it i'll unsubscribe from the first email they send me well if you do it right and you push out high quality independent stuff that what's in there is generally nowhere else people will start coming back to you they'll start stopping when they see you putting out content and actually engaging with it and that's in the b2b world where the sales cycle can be so long is what you need to do is you just need to start building that brand awareness up from the subconscious level to the really like you know i'm keeping my eye out to see the next piece of information from this brand yeah, I think that's uh, really important to state that, you know, if you are going to have that lead generation strategy, uh, and like you said, there is a long sales process to go through and, and decision-making cycle, you have to do the brand awareness stuff to bring people into that flow in the first place, because otherwise you're just not filling up your bucket with potential leads. You're just emptying it out and then, you know, eventually you'll run out of pipeline. So I think if it was me going into a, a business, there would have to be a, a strategy for that brand awareness and that top of funnel activity in conjunction with the the lead gen activity would yeah. you agree yeah and it comes down again it comes about to say to data when you can segment your data because you can just put a piece of content out there that is you know like, oh, everyone will love this but what you really want to do a smart way of doing is bucketing people into a certain number of groups based on what you have available to you in terms of resources is doing content that target people who are the gatekeepers so you sort of more manager senior manager level with content that you know they'll find interesting and start to engage with them but then what a c-suite is interested in is completely different to a senior manager in a lot of products because you know the manager level person will probably be using the product day in, day out, whether the C-suite person is more interested in the bigger picture. So, I mean, that's a, a simple way of segmenting your data and the content that goes along with it. And then that feeds into brand awareness because then you're building out two brand awareness pitches as well. It's with the sort of, I don't want to say, the sort of lower tier in the organization people have see your brand as, okay, they provide really good content for me. And the C-suite see it as well but they're like oh these people understand the big picture while the manager level school person's like okay they get the the intricate details of it and that's the best way again the problem is that a lot of stuff comes down to available resources that you have it's all well and good saying that when you've got huge teams and stuff like that if you're sort of a one-man band or there's only a couple in the team yeah you, you then have to look at the data and prioritize okay let's look at the data we don't have particularly good engagement rates with C-suite. I'm not saying that's cute, but I'm saying in general, hypothetically, you look at your data and you go, okay, C-suites generally don't engage with our content. So there's no point in focusing too much time on that initial stage. Let's start and try lower down the organization and start, you know, okay, let's get with the gatekeeper and then use that to build the journey to then hopefully get the C-suite into the conversation down the line. Yeah, there's, there's many, many ways that you can approach this sort of thing. I think the resource point you mentioned there is really interesting and it leads me on to a question that I, I was going to ask last, but I think it's a good point to, to cover now. So 
how do you manage the demands of a sales team who obviously have a job to do to convert people to make sales who are waiting for leads and feeling that pressure versus the marketing activities that you know you need to do which can take time to bear fruit give uh, if you can give our listeners some advice on how to manage that relationship that would be really awesome yeah it's an interesting one my personal approach to it is i can tell the sales people i can easily generate you 100 leads for you to follow up and you'd be lucky if one or two progressed further or you could give the marketing team time let us do the what the work we need to do and you know we might only generate 20 30 leads but they'd be quality and you know 50 to 75% of them would go further down the funnel and that's how you've got to position it, it is uh, quality over quantity, as you said before. You know, you can easily start generating tons and tons of leads, you know, just chuck stuff here out and Google Display Network. You'll get a load of spam part, you know, unless you're the one who has to qualify the leads, you just pass it on to the BDMs and the sales team. Uh, you know, they won't be happy, but then you'll be like, well, you asked me to generate X number of leads. And that's why to anyone who's managing sort of marketing things, setting KPIs, like, oh, you need to get marketing needs to generate X number of leads a week or month or this, that, the other, that can be easily manipulated. It's like setting a KPI of, oh, I want to increase social media following by a thousand a month. You could do that organically, but if someone starts getting a bit worried and like, oh, if I start, don't hit this KPI, it's going to impact me. They're just going to start buying crap leads. They just go online. You can buy a thousand followers on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook for five, 10 quid. They're going to be rubbish, but the high level report number will be like, yep, increased by this amount. So if you push people into a corner where, you know, they've got to do this sort of things and some people will do that. Some, and some people will leave. That's the other thing you don't want, you know, if you start putting too much pressure, you're going to get the churn. So you've got to let marketing people who have spent a lot of their time learning about how to do marketing to do their job. Yeah, absolutely. I think something you said early on sort of caught my my imagination as well. I was thinking about, uh, you know, understanding the pressures and the the role that those salespeople have. As you said, you could fill up their pipelines with a hundred leads that that won't go anywhere, and being able to empathise with that person saying, look, I don't want to create a whole load of extra work for you by sending leads that I know are not going to go anywhere for you. It's much better and more efficient for all of us if marketing takes the time to deliver you 20 or 30 leads that are actually of value to you. I think that shows a lot of maturity on the part of the marketer. And you know, you're only going to build positive relationships there. Whereas if you if you go into that conversation uh, you know potentially a bit defensive, then you know, those those barriers are, are not easily going to be maintained. Yeah. And I mean, with that, with building relationships, it is there it shouldn't be hiding marketing away. It shouldn't be in in a dark room sort of thing where you're not telling sales and other parts of the business what's happening. You need to get everyone in the business involved. So if salespersons are like, oh, you know, we want leads, start getting content out of them. Say, okay, spend a couple of hours every week doing me a piece of content. It doesn't have to be the best piece. It's easier to sort of get someone's idea, you know, someone can put down all their ideas and then you can get them either bullet points or a few short paragraphs and turn that into a piece of content and just like, you know, start getting the sales team to help. If they're saying, oh, we haven't got a lot of leads at the moment, then get them to help you generate leads by picking their brains, having meetings with them to understand the content to put out. Use them to segment your data. They know the data in the database most probably better than the marketing people. I know sort of speak to salespeople at Cube. They know who they really want to go after, who in the organization is worth going after, and then using that to start really building personalized campaigns. 
LinkedIn, again, going back to have a great uh, a new feature called um, Conversations, where you do sort of paid. It's it's a bit like in-mail, but slightly different. We had some good success off the back of that, sort of um, find someone in your sales team and go, okay, we need access to your LinkedIn account. Help us build this piece of conversation that goes out and we'll send it out with this piece of content and start like start the really early stage conversations off of the back of that I said yeah you can't just go in and say we're not going to be able to do this for you um wait on us to do it get them involved that's the best thing I can say is get anyone in the business who's asking marketing for something get them involved in the process get as much help from them as possible with at the same time while not obviously putting everything on their shoulders and making it seem like if they don't do something nothing's going to happen but you should treat every person in the business as an extension of the marketing team i mean what we do in q on a very basic level is when we put up something on social pass it out around the team get them to share and like and to comment on it and um, to start building some engagement and getting that organic side of things going Mm. I think that mindset is is really one to to remember that everybody in the business has a role to play in marketing. And that that LinkedIn conversation ad that you mentioned, I think is a, a really good way of engaging a salesperson because the the ad will go out to people that um that you target and also can be in their network, but the replies will come back into them. So they can see in real time who's responding to that ad because the message will come straight back to them. So while it's it's tricky for a marketer to keep tabs on that because you're never quite sure of how those conversations are going, you can see the, the numbers and, and you'll get the feedback on it. But that's such a, a good way and a good tangible way for a salesperson to see some instant results. And, you know, as we've said, LinkedIn is the best place to be targeting people for uh, for B2B. So I think we are nearly out of time. If there was one thing you wanted to leave our listeners with that they should take forward when thinking about B2B and lead generation, what would that be? Don't be afraid to test and learn. Don't be afraid to fail. Always feel ready to put some money behind any idea that you might have. And don't let people say oh this is the way it's always been done hold you back you know if you're like oh, let's try this LinkedIn conversation let's try even said let's try Google Display Network it might work for you that's the thing though you know whatever anyone says might not be true for your individual situation they only have the experience of what they've been doing so as I said for me in the business I worked in Google Display Network has not work don't take that as a gospel truth and never touch it put some money behind a test see what you results you get out of it that's that's the best thing i can say to anyone in marketing don't believe everything you see people say uh test it for yourself i think that's so important um if people wanted to reach out and chat to you chris where's the best place for them to find you yeah uh linkedin funnily enough um <laughs> awesome. yeah. yeah chris christopher han on linkedin relatively active on there more more lurker and commenter than pushing stuff out no that's cool i think sometimes we marketers get like that don't we we just like to sit and listen and and see what's going on in the conversation i'm i'm very much like that on linkedin except when i'm pushing out the podcast obviously (laughs) um well that's all we've got time for thanks so much chris uh, for being here it's been a really awesome conversation i really enjoyed it and uh, to all our listeners if you have any questions do reach out to chris or myself the instagram for the podcast is marketing mindset club and i will see you next time 